0: Welcome to Engineering Stories. I'm Alex, I'm the head of R&D here at Silver Fox. Um, and I have a electronic and electrical engineering degree from the University of Bath. And alongside me today, I have Nicoletta.
1: Hello, thank you, Alex. Um, yes, my name is Nicoletta and I'm a second year student on electrical and electronic engineering as well at the University of Greenwich.
0: And our guest today is Paul Longe. Paul, would you like to introduce yourself?
2: Yeah, hi, my name is Paul Longer, and I am a manufacturing graduate at the Ministry of Defence and my background is within aerospace engineering where I studied that at the University of Leicester. Brilliant. Right, we'll,
0: we'll crack on. Where did your desire or your love of engineering come from?
2: I think for me, I've wanted to get into engineering just because of the courses that I've studied at school and um, I really enjoyed physics and maths and wanted to be able to put in that practical side to it. And just a few experiences at school, that's really given me a love for it. Um, I joined like Robotics Club quite early on uh, during my secondary school and had some really interesting experiences there. And um, just other small experiences and like animation or visiting different universities and being able to see some of what gets on.
0: Brilliant. Um, So tell us more about that Robotics Club then. How did you get into that?
2: Um, it was just a club that was like nearly started within my secondary school. I went to a school in Gravesend, Gravesend grammar school, and the club was only running for a few short years. But I think any kid would find it really interesting and a chance to, like get involved in that. And within that club, there was the opportunity to go and enter robot wars uh, at the end of the year. So I, I really jumped at that and just wanted to get involved and you know get to meet people from that and have some of those experiences.
0: Cool. So was that was that robot wars? between you or was that actual the tv show robot wars
2: yeah it was actual robot wars which was really fun and to actually you know go over there i had a hat which i've lost now unfortunately i had a few of the signatures from some of the people from there and um our own robot it didn't do amazingly well in it but um we still had fun being able to actually go to the competition and see and watch some of the battles What,
0: what was your robot's special special skill
2: um ours didn't really have one it kind of just had a ramp built into the front of it i think we're all you know like yeah sevens year eights uh at that age doing it so it's special skill was the ability to go forward really. so so
0: <laughs> did it turn
2: did it go backwards yeah it could turn and go backwards as well <laughs> yeah. okay yeah
0: but presumably you came amiss against uh things with spinning wheels and
2: hammers yeah and, yeah no chance against any of those
1: If you were to rebuild the robots now, would you do anything different?
2: Yeah, I think um, with my skills and experience and actually having studied an engineering degree, I've got a lot more capability and ability to create a really good robot. Have Um, you tried? I haven't tried recently, but I've got an Arduino just in the back of my room now. Um, I could probably, you know, put together the electronics for it and the rest of it. Um, You know, in this modern age, I'd probably design using 3D printing and a few CAD skills
0: so you you went to you got to work in italy
2: yeah that was more related to like um enjoying maths at school um so i had a, quite which is, a few opportunities which is key for engineering
0: i might engineering
2: add yeah absolutely and um during university when i was looking for a part-time job um both like during term time and outside i took up a bit of maths tutoring so i had some really good opportunities there like working inside of a secondary school and you know being able to support some kids and other people who wanted to get into engineering but maybe didn't have those math skills to where they needed them to be and so it's really being able to support some of them being able to push them and uh, that's what I did during term time and outside of that I also took on some really great opportunities to teach maths and uh, be like an activity leader abroad so I've been to schools in Italy and Slovenia and uh, even Oxford as well.
0: Wow, where was your favourite place?
2: Uh, I would say my favorite was Slovenia. It was just such an interesting place to visit, and doing that it was something that I stayed alongside host families. so it was really quite a cultural experience as well I uh, lived at like you know in the mountains and it was like you know a few few miles walk to get to the school and almost a hike every day, which was lots of fun and then to get there as well and to be able to like help children it's a really rewarding experience so you,
0: so you didn't go um during ski season then
2: uh, no not not unfortunately not because
0: <laughs> i've actually heard the skiing in slovenia is is actually quite good
2: yeah i bet it must be um it's a really like mountainous area so i bet yeah. during that season it must be incredible yeah
1: the tutoring were you just tutoring maths or was there any other subject you quite enjoyed and wanted to share with others
2: yeah, one of the things that I did, especially abroad, was as an activity leader. So that would be leading the kids in kind of drama, art and sports. So um, one of the big things that I like to do is I play dodgeball quite a lot. I got into that at university and I'm wearing uh, my dodgeball hoodie right now. And so that's something that I'm really into and uh, being able to share that like love and passion with other people as well is always fun. And I still play dodgeball now that I live in Reading. Uh, there's a local club that was set up Uh, Just before the pandemic, that I've uh, joined and I'm on the committee for as well.
0: Wow, is that competitive?
2: Uh, Yeah, it's competitive. Uh, We have like league meets and a few like open tournaments against other cities and occasionally universities. And yeah, it's a lot of fun. I wouldn't say I'm that great though, but I do really enjoy it.
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously we played dodgeball at school, but yeah, my my lasting memory of it is the film.
2: I think uh, everyone who like comes in to play dodgeball is uh, the movie's a big inspiration and you know I think we'll have a social coming up at some point where we'll all we'll sit together and watch that movie yeah, ha- see what we can learn and bring back to yeah the
0: how similar is it
2: um <laughs> I think the, the movie's a bit different in how the sports played but it's uh I'd say the energy and the passion's about the same
0: so you went from tutoring or from from school to to tutoring and then you went up to Leicester to do um to do aerospace engineering i'm surprised leicester wasn't your favorite place to be i'll be honest um what was that like
2: uh leicester's really great it's a really multicultural city and you know it's a lot of fun there and you know having that university experience um yeah i really really enjoyed my time there and you know made like lots of really good like uh lifelong friends and um Leicester's such a central place; it's easy to get around to other areas of the country. So I've been able to visit friends in different cities and uh, have different experiences. Uh, Leicester also has the space centre there as well.
0: Yeah, I, 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 that's one place I want to go actually. Apparently, it's really good.
2: Yeah, unfortunately, even though I lived there for um, four years and did an aerospace degree, I never actually managed to go. Wow. So it's something that I'll have wow. to go to in the future. So it's used to go, I've back, been to to Leicester. To go back to Leicester. Hey, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's my excuse to come back. Yeah.
0: Tell, tell us more about your, um, your final year project.
2: Yeah, so my final year project was about using kites as a form of renewable wind energy. And uh, that was done as a master's project, so it's a group project with a team of five members. All of us have a different engineering background, uh, myself in aerospace, uh, I had friends in general, electrical and mechanical and so this project we were looking for something that could bring all of our skills together and you know maybe be something that's a bit impactful and this project was something that really touched upon all of that
0: so so go on explain to to people who who don't have um, aerospace engineering degrees how it worked
2: yeah so the basic concept of the project was Uh, We have these massive, gigantic, super expensive wind turbines. Um, You know, we build them taller and bigger every year. We're trying to get as much wind energy out of them as possible, Mm -hmm. and we do that by making them bigger and taller. However, there's kind of a limit when you do that. Um, When you build something really big, you need really strong materials to support the entire wind turbine. So we thought, is there another way that you can get to that same height and same size and drastically cut down the price? and maybe have some other benefits. And researching into this, we came across the concept of airborne wind energy. In this concept, um, in its most simplest form, you have a kite attached to a tether, and that tether is attached to a station on the ground. And as the kite rises up because of the wind speed, it spins the generator, and that provides energy. And if you've ever flown a kite, you know as easy as it is to get it to go up, you can actually make it go down just by adjusting a few of the tethers on board to the kite. So if you're able to do that, you can have the kite return to the ground, then fly back up. And then that pumping oscillates in motion. It generates electricity. Wow. And yeah, major benefits of this is it's just a lot cheaper, super lightweight. Um, you can transport it easily and you can set it up in almost any location uh, without great difficulty that you'd have of a wind turbine.
0: But where did you come up with the idea?
2: This was something that so the people in my project team i lived together with two of them and it's something that we were just kind of all researching together looking at different ideas and we came across it on bbc news and just as we researched into it and thought about ourselves that was just the more that we could understand and see how great an idea it has and how much potential
0: and what was working with a big group like that
2: like um i really enjoyed the experience i think um you know, it always depends on who your team members are, but for this project, we are able to choose our members. So I chose people that I get along really well with and I know what their strengths are. Uh, like I said, two of them are housemates and uh, the other two are friends as well. So we all kind of knew how to work together already.
1: Do you think it's easier to work with friends? I've heard otherwise. And many people are saying, oh, you shouldn't work with friends because conflict and it's harder to tell them not to do something or, or actually to do something.
2: Yeah, I think um, I have had experiences where working with friends isn't always the best. But I think it's about trust and respect and knowing each other's skill sets. Um, when we started off the project, I was the project manager. And one of the first things I did was to get everyone to list like all of their skills and top strengths and kind of break into the project so people can be a specialist and almost an expert within that certain area. So if there ever is a point of conflict or... Um, people with different ideas. We have someone who we knows should have the best knowledge on it and we each respect each other enough to listen to that. And, you know, even if it's not your specialism, you have an idea as well. It's all about open discussion and building that kind of environment of trust where it's easy to talk and get along with each other.
1: So you said you've done a master, right? Was it an MENG or an MSc? Yeah,
2: I chose to do an MENG, the integrated masters, where I would stay at the same university. Uh, there was a bit of confliction I had about whether to go for an MSc or an, an MEng, but actually a major part of picking the MN was because I really liked the people I knew I would be working with for that master's project. And I had you know, good connections with my uh, mentors and uh, lecturers at the university. So I knew staying on there, I'd have the best opportunity and potential to excel and to really do a good project and get that support from the right people.
1: Was that something you chose from the start, or as you've had the first and the second year, then decided?
2: Yeah, well, something that I really chose in my second year, even um, I did a year in industry as well, and that was something that I chose kind of in between. Oh, I was so so that's planning like... to do a year abroad.
1: So that's five years, right?
2: Yeah, five year course. A lot of time spent in Leicester. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so did you actually get a working prototype of your kite
2: yeah, we did manage to get a working prototype and it was really cutting it close. I think um, we managed to do a really good plan, a Gantt chart of how to achieve uh, our aims within the time frame. And we had each step kind of planned for the week. Then as we were coming across, I think this would have been around March time. We had in the plan, you know, another four or eight weeks left to work on it. And then news about COVID started to come out. At the time, we didn't know how like severe it was going to be, but we did know it was likely that the university labs were going to close down. And um, we actually did receive an email saying that in a week's time, there'll be no more entrance into the university. So within that uh, last couple of weeks, we had to condense the entire work of uh, eight weeks all into that time period. And so we had to skip a lot of the subsystem testing. And we were almost there sat as a group outside with... Um, bringing everything out, bringing out a pair of scissors, wire cutters, um, electrical tape, and a soldering iron, and just trying to almost jury-rig the rest of our project together. And uh, I guess at this point, we skipped a lot of our engineering steps and assurity and everything, and just kind of did everything we could to get it to work. And in the end, yeah, we were successful. We managed to get the kite up in the air, uh, uh, spinning the generator and generating power and lighting up a light bulb. No. Wow and we also recorded those results.
0: So just, just we'll take, that was your final year project, but going back a bit, you did a a placement, right? Yeah, I did. How did you find it?
2: Yeah, I I really enjoyed my placement. I did it with a company called Eaton Aerospace, and during that placement, I had the role of a quality engineer. And this isn't something I'd really come across before, but I really um, took to the role and uh, really, you know, tried to make the year the best that I could to make it. At first I had, you know, a bit of like lacking in confidence almost because everything was so new. You know, you're trying to learn a business, trying to learn a job role and, you know, trying to fit in with the team as well. Mm. So there's a lot to learn. But after about three or four months, I really got stuck in and was able to make the best of it.
0: And what, what does a quality engineer do?
2: So a quality engineer, um, this is within operations and production. It's about making the product that comes out right first time uh, that's a philosophy that we kind of had within that company and i think should be shared of all quality engineers that's um make no defect, pass on no defect and accept no defect so a lot of the work that i did was in making those processes that would have in between steps to make sure that no defects are getting made or passed across a project that i worked on for example was uh called a quarantine project it's when you have a defective item that's, you know, either material or manufactured product that has a defect in it. It's to segregate it from the rest of your good product so you don't accidentally put it back into the line, which was a problem that would occasionally happen. And as you can imagine in aerospace, if that, if a defective product goes onto the line, ends up onto a plane, that can have serious consequences. So yeah, the work of a quality engineer is really important.
0: Brilliant. And how, how, how come you didn't go back?
2: um for me even though i really enjoyed the work that i did there it was kind of a problem on the location um i was based in a place called south Moulton, uh in north devon oh, yeah. which i did really enjoy i know well.
0: it, but it is a bit it's a bit of a sleeper yeah
2: thing. yeah <laughs> yeah very small town yeah, yeah. and um yeah, yeah. quite difficult to get out in a way yeah. uh when i did my year in industry i didn't have a car mm. so i was almost kind of stuck in this town you know with, uh, maybe one bus every hour and yeah you know buses stop at like 5 or 6 p.m
0: yeah unreal beaches down there though if you surf yeah
2: really nice really nice beaches if you've got a car to get yeah yes yeah.
1: yeah, so about your year in industry how strongly would you recommend that to other people to other students
2: i would absolutely recommend a year in industry to any engineer who's um doing a degree and you know wants to get involved um, even if you don't know what you want to do in the future, it's a really good chance to get a bit of experience and, and knowledge. Um, one of the things that I gained is I found out I actually really do like quality engineering. It's something I might get back into in the future. And you know, for other people, they might find that they don't like it or maybe it's the industry they don't like. And that's a kind of a learning that can help you in the future when you apply for your full-time job post-graduation. Uh, one thing I found was I didn't really like small town life. So when I was applying for jobs, I was looking for the big cities and big towns. And, and you chose Redding. Uh, finding somewhere really connected. <laughs> Redding is the biggest town in the United Kingdom. So I think it about counts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, I think a year in industry is just a really good opportunity. And even coming into my current job now, experiences that I gained during my year in industry, it set me up into a really good position where I was given projects and I didn't have to go through those same starting three or four months where I didn't know what I was doing. I was able to get stuck right in and make really good impressions and build good connections in the company.
1: So what would you say was the strongest skill or um, asset or lesson learned you've had from from your year in the industry?
2: I think for for me, it was that mindset that I developed uh, as a quality engineer to make no defects, accept no defects and pass on no defects. Um, I kind of took that into all of my work and coming back to do my master's after that year in industry I was uh, really able to put that into the kite projects that we completed and use that experience and knowledge to set up the project in a way that it almost couldn't fail. Um, Like I said we had that week by week plan and I think a lot of other teams and other projects you make a plan and it's really hard to stick to it. But just from that experience, I became quite good at being able to manage my own work and manage a team and to get everything done um, when it needs to be done. Silver Fox proudly supports engineers with all their cable, wire and pipe labelling requirements. The a the Box
0: thermal printer has the ability to print a whole range of thermal labels with one software, one printer and one ribbon, saving loads of time for the engineers out there in the field. For more information, contact sales at silverfox.co.uk or call on plus 44 01707 01707-373727. So go on, we'll fast forward all the way to present day. Um, tell us about your job now.
2: So um, yeah, my current work now, I currently work at a contractor for the MOD. And I'm doing rotational graduate placements, which is another really good opportunity. So, a bit like my year in industry, from each placement, I can gain a different experience and bring it into the next, and maybe even bring ideas from one placement to another and spread that throughout the business. Um, my first placement, it was uh, once again, well, actually, I started off this job working from home, which was quite a challenging time. Um, when you work for any kind of engineering company, a lot of work is hands on and you really need to be able to see it. Mm. And so, working from home, it was left me quite limited in what kind of work I was able to get involved in. But even though this would have been a disadvantage, I managed to turn it into an advantage in a way. Um, Not being able to get on with work for the business, I had a lot of time to get involved in other things. And that's how I managed to enter the IET competition and uh, work on my competencies and do a lot of work on myself and personal knowledge as an engineer. Mm.
0: So, what, as you've mentioned it, uh, tell us about the IET competition.
2: Yeah, so the IET competition that relates to my master's project, again, on the kites, um, this competition was called IET's Present in 10. And it's a 10 minute presentation for an opportunity for young engineers to present on an idea or concept that could change the world. Mm. And I actually found out about this competition just on Twitter um, after I'd followed the IET and I thought, Hey, um, my university project, that kind of describes it. And I thought, why not give it a shot and enter the competition? And so I did. And um, it was split up into three rounds, uh, groups of six people, and then a grand final. And I entered inside of the sustainability category, and I managed to win. Wow.
0: I mean, your idea is pretty sustainable. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) So, wow, well done. Well done for that. Uh, Yeah, thank you. So was it just you that entered, or was it your group?
2: Uh, It was just me um, presenting on it. Yeah, you didn't feel like pulling in the the, the others or weren't they interested? No, I think um, just the structure of the competition, it was really only like a one-person kind of entry. Mm. But I did get one of my group members uh, to come out with me and he got some really cool pictures of me. He has a drone and so I drove over to his place, now wind farm, and took really nice pictures of our kite outside of the wind turbines. Oh, wow. And used that in the introduction of my presentation.
0: That's pretty, that's
1: pretty cool. Based on your project, would you say that sustainability is one of the most important things in engineering today?
2: Yeah, I think absolutely. I think um, maybe in the past, engineering projects haven't always been done with an eye towards sustainability. Uh, whenever you go for like a project lifecycle, you always need to consider disposal and kind of the impact that this project could have on the environment. So I think it is a really major consideration that, you know, all companies need to make. and any kind of time you go into a project or produce a new product, it really does need to be something at the forefront of your minds. I mean, it's now common practice to have like an environmentalist on a project and someone who's got that area of expertise and can consider the impacts and helps to advise and be a stakeholder in a project.
1: So apart from the um, um, airborne wind energy from your project, where would you, what would you want to see in terms of sustainability in the future?
2: Uh, in terms of su- sustainability i think this is maybe almost a controversial topic in some areas but i think nuclear energy is a real big requirement in reaching those net zero targets um i think there needs to be a lot of investment into it and a lot of research done and there are quite a few places that are really good at research in nuclear en- uh nuclear energy like um i think there's some places in didcot oxford and they're doing really good work there so i think you know, more funding towards those areas, more of a consideration, and you know, decided on areas where we may be able to build places to generate that nuclear power for the country.
0: So you've just started your career. I take, I take it given COVID, it was within the last twelve months.
2: Yeah, I started. Um, I think a year and about twenty days ago. Wow.
0: So so fresh, fresh into the the, the graduate workforce. <laughs> what aspirations have you got for it? Where do you want to take it?
2: Um, yeah, I really just want to push my career as far as possible. Um, I think, you know, maybe one day I'd like to be sitting here as a director and, you know, quite a senior position within a company and, you know, being able to not just make decisions or manage projects. I really want to to be able to push the direction of a company mm. and kind of be somebody with a vision who works towards that.
0: Do you think you'd you'd stay in in the defense industry or or do you want to go into in a different direction
2: yeah I think it is hard to say I think maybe my passion to be more something related to the uh, sustainability or maybe space and that would be something that I would like to go but I think for right now and maybe the next you know five years or so this is a really good place to build up those basic skills and um, you know get really good experience I think working within defense and uh, within the ministry as well there's quite a clear path and there's a lot of good connections people that you can meet and you know it's all about kind of learning from others people who've already Mm. been there and you know avoiding the mistakes that they've made and following uh down the paths that they've trailed as well
0: Is, is the mod hot on sustainability
2: yeah i would say so um you know when you've got an employer that has a lot of employees there's a lot that they're required to do and you know there's almost like this ethical consideration that smaller companies can't always afford to have so there are like you know big teams that actually do work on um climate sustainability and you know kind of making things as good as they can be Mm. and you know it's big projects where they become a stakeholder that quite interests me as well
0: yeah maybe that's the route for you but you do see you do seem to be really keen on on sustainability which is great
1: well is there anyone you're actually looking up to in your industry or just engineering in general or somebody that inspires you?
2: Um, no, I've not really considered that question before, but I think, um, maybe like looking at role models, I'd say maybe both of my parents, um, in different ways. Uh, my mom's always kind of worked within like kind of childcare and, you know, supporting people. Um, she's like, worked with disabled adults and children. And working in care homes, and I think she wants to set up a care home in the future as well. And my mum's got a really serious uh, work ethic. Uh, she's able to set up businesses, um, she set up an after school club in the past. And, you know, seeing the way that she works and is able to be dedicated to something that she believes in and, you know, can be like a positive force in the world, that's, I find that really inspiring. And um, my dad as well, he's got a similar level of work ethic. And you know he he's able to, he's been able to get himself quite a good position. Uh, he was uh, deputy head for a bank in Nigeria, and you know he works really hard. So he's actually just retired a few weeks ago, and he's still looking. He, that's but that's not the end of his career. He's still looking. He's um, going out to conferences, learning on how to set up a business. He's looking at other positions and senior things he can take on, and you know he's got that drive and passion to keep him working and. That's something that, you know, I aspire to and want to be able to be.
1: Have they been very supportive of your choice? Because engineering and your mom is in care, your dad bank. you are an engineer.
2: Yeah, I think, uh, absolutely. I think there's always, you know, I would be like an engineer, a doctor, or a lawyer. So <laughs> I've managed to get one of the three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, I think um, they, they just want me to have like, you know, something quite stable and something that I can actually really enjoy. I think um, it's always important that you enjoy and kind of love your job. So I think I'm, I'm in quite a good place and my parents have told me that they're both pr- proud of me. And uh, winning that competition as well has been helpful too.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. Imagine you've got a time machine and uh, you can go back and give 16-year-old Paul some advice. Or uh, we can go younger. We'll go, we'll go 14-year-old Paul. What would you say to him?
2: I think I've always kind of been doing the right thing but maybe just some confirmation it's about grabbing opportunities whilst you can and I think one of the things that I've just learned over the years is I've always had that mindset to take an opportunity but I've been learning how to find them and that's the really tricky thing so I would give myself some advice on just how to find them and being resourceful on the internet, uh, speaking to the right people and how to approach them as well. and. You know, I'm even finding it in my current work now. It doesn't matter, like how senior or how busy a person is. If you email them and you ask them for advice, almost everyone is always happy to, you know, take 15 minutes out of their diaries and sit with you and have a chat, um, talk with you about their careers or um, offer some other guidance or advice. So even just push you in the right direction and say, "Hey, I might not be able to help you with this, but try speaking to this person," and I found that that's um, really good advice for anyone to take who's going into the working world. Brilliant.
1: Do you think your lecturers took the time to give you advices when you were in high school, college, before university? Did they have an impact on you choosing the course you did?
2: Yeah, I think so. I think I had, um, funnily enough, uh, one of my English teachers was really helpful. Uh, Maybe not in terms of the course, but in terms of advice and being friendly and supportive. And as well as that, my physics teachers, uh, they've been really good and, you know, helped to inspire me within physics and to really enjoy the course. Um, physics is such an interesting thing. And, you know, a lot of the interesting parts of engineering kind of come from physics, too. So that story has been really helpful in knowing that you've got someone to talk to about things and to question the world and why it works the way that it does. I think all engineers have an inquisitive mind and someone who can give answers. There's nothing better than that
0: so you seem to you seem to love physics why why did you choose engineering over physics
2: i think engineering is more the practical side it's when you're able to take learning that you've done or you know come up with theories or practices and say okay so this can work in this situation but how can i make it work for me how can i make it work on a bigger scale how can i make it work for this country or the world and I think with engineering, that's where you can have a real impact and kind of leave your mark.
0: Brilliant. Good answer.
1: Do you think you will take any more managerial roles in the future or you would like to be the hands-on person if you were to choose? I
2: I think for me, I probably would go more towards that management route and being able to organize things and set a direction. Uh, I think I'm quite good at planning a project and making sure things are happening and Um, You know, being able to take a step back and see that bigger picture. Another one of my favorite sayings is, um, you know, complex plan, you have simple steps. If you have a simple plan, you'll have complex steps. If you're able to know, like, what needs to be done and really work out what the price of getting each thing done is, then work can really flow and go down well.
1: So what would you say would be the end goal?
2: Yeah, I think... um, I think it is quite hard to say what the end goal is. Um, No one can predict the future, uh, despite my saying about complex plans. Uh, You can't predict the future, but that's why I say I just want to be open to any opportunity that may happen. Um, If this pandemic has showed us anything, it's that uh, nothing is in control. Um, You can't plan what's going to happen in a year or six months' time. Things can change, and you just need to be open and be able to embrace that change and thrive within it Set yourself up to be in the best position that you can be. So, I guess uh, my goals are kind of more open and a bit fluid, but I, w- I would like to be someone who can make an impact and set direction.
1: So, you have a direction, not a destination yet?
2: Yes.
0: <laughs> Thank you very much, Paul, Thank for coming on. It's been fantastic listening to you. Fantastic. Really interesting to hear, really interesting hear your views and your advice for young Paul. So, yeah, thank you for coming on.
2: Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, This has been great.
1: Thank you, Paul. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Engineering Stories podcast. We hope it's given you some insight into another area of engineering. If you're still here at this point, we must be doing something right. So stay tuned for the next guest. And in the meantime, share this episode with your friends and family. And don't forget to subscribe.